the Buddhists and all those who aren't Buddhists <laughs> or Buddhists who aren't, don't think of themselves as Buddhists <laughs> and Buddhists who think they are Buddhists but aren't really. <laughs> covers everybody. (laughs) (laughs) This uh, day of auspiciousness, almsgiving, uh, as you can see, Venerable Santajito has a way with the weather uh, devas, because we were all hoping that his uh, powers of Samadhi would be able to reach them in time because it was predicted a, a wet rainy Sunday but as you can see very effectively came forth because obviously everybody's <coughs> wants to uh, join in on this auspicious occasion and this uh, I like to contemplate days like this uh, because uh, in a society, modern society, we really need to uh, think about this a lot, how to make our lives and our presence within the society that which is of benefit, that which is good, a good influence. And as human beings, of course, we can, uh, we can just live according to, we can be just, we can be merely creatures of habit, just getting along with what we've been conditioned and programmed into doing with our lives, we can uh, just uh, seek after meaningless or useless things or just uh, seek even deliberately evil or harmful ways of, of acting and speaking or we can, uh, we can act very selfishly just thinking of ourselves and what I want and or what I need, but we can also uh, rise up and put forth uh, that energy we we have toward doing good, toward uh, living, presenting our lives in a way that is of benefit both to ourselves and to all sentient beings. And Buddha Dhamma, of course, uh, is a continuous reminder to us of how uh, we're all in this on this planet together. Uh, we all have to, we, we all influence uh, the effects of, of uh, we all affect each other. Uh, nobody is an independent operator uh, whose life it does not touch uh, the other creatures, other consciousnesses on this planet or in this universal system. I think modern uh, humanism 
materialism uh, has blinded us to this that we we come we've, we're just coming out of an age where it's uh, me first I I can live my life the way I want it uh, none of your business I can do what I want I'm free I'm independent and uh, I'm and if I want to waste my life that's my business if I want to do wicked and evil things that's what that's what that's my business and you can do what you want with your life I'm going to do this with mine uh, the attitudes of uh, of a very of a, of a, of the these come from this idea that I am this body here this person and I'm free to do what I want then there's Dhamma when we contemplate Dhamma we, we are breaking uh, through that illusion of being a personality of a kind of permanent person or a, a permanent individual uh, we're transcending or we're, we're realizing a transcendent consciousness or a union a unity, a wholeness uh, which is uh, not realizable uh, from the position of our thoughts or sensory experience and this is the, the function of, of religion really religion is the convention or the, the tool that uh, is designed for human beings like ourselves to realize that ultimate reality or unity uh, in modern jargon of the Aquarian age is the uh, holistic consciousness and words like this are coming more into uh, the human uh, into English vocabulary anyway we talk about whole holistic consciousness and this is a very good good thing to to contemplate what do we mean by holistic or one or union or communion or community uh, the Sangha itself represents community Sangha is the Pali Sanskrit word for community and a community is uh, is a unity isn't it it's many individuals many separate beings or individuals uh, uniting in a communion or a unity one thing so the, the Sangha represents a, a, a one whole group uh, it's not we're not here to express or or demand individual thoughts views opinions rights privileges but we live uh, more and more as a communion of beings uh, of course we're all most of us are very much conditioned by the attitudes of modern uh, humanism and materialism of I am this person and I have my rights and my way and what I think and all that are very much our minds are conditioned with those kind of attitudes but in the contemplation and reflection on Buddha Dhamma that more and more we relinquish and let go uh, of those ways of thinking uh, in order to realize the, the common ground the unity the oneness uh, in which we work as as a sangha rather than as a group of individuals or factions, uh, and this, of course, to me is is quite a a remarkable insight uh, 
because more and more, say, as one develops the life under the monastic discipline, that that whole way of looking, seeing, and feeling is it becomes more real to us. I think when I first became a monk in Thailand, uh, I, I, I could understand the words well enough, I could get the idea, but the actual heartfelt experience of Sangha took many years. Uh, it wasn't an, an immediate thing. I've been a foreigner, being, um, being a, 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 someone who looked very different than the, than the rest of the monks, uh, being the kind of person I am, uh, the generation I am, and the size I am in a country of small people, and uh, being uh, always always uh, having a, a feeling of being a unique or separate uh, character or individual or personality uh, was say my my general was was what I how I uh, where my assumptions came from and how I would tend to react. Over the years then that all of that has been examined as Dhamma. All the attitudes, views, opinions, good, bad, indifferent, uh, desires and fears, whatever they might be, uh, no matter how gross or coarse or refined or subtle, uh, there's that continuous reflection, examination of imp the impermanence of the conditions of one's mind and body. Uh, when the insight, uh, knowledge arises from that kind of practice, then uh, the, the realization or the understanding, profound understanding of the true nature of things, or the transcendent unity, which is, of course, ineffable. It, it has to be realized, each one for themselves. The best we can do is, is talk like this. I remember when Venerable Santajito first came to Thailand uh, in about 18 years ago or so, I think. Uh, <laughs> just dropped in for a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, made it very clear he was, had no intention to stay very long. <laughs> and kept saying it quite often. <laughs> <laughs> but I think both Venerable Santajito and myself sometimes wonder how, what it is that, that th why we have remained, why we have kind of uh, stayed within this uh, particular style and framework of the uh, Theravadan Buddhist monk. Uh, because it's not the easiest way to live, I tell you. And uh, it's also many times the mind uh, can think of so many uh, preferable ways to live one's life. And yet uh, underlying all of those kind of thoughts and, and mental states that might arise, there's something uh, intuitive, something that holds you, that, that says, you know, it doesn't even say anything, it just won't let you follow the other thoughts. 
Now the when when uh, what the, the the beauty and the profundity of Buddha Dhamma lies in its reflective capacity. <clears throat> when other people of other religions ask about the Buddhist teaching, the doctrines, and what and our beliefs, uh, our minds go a bit uh, silent because we can't really describe Buddhism in the same way one would describe another religion. It's not, if they say, what do you believe in? And, and uh, my mind just stops thinking at that moment and there's nothing more to say. <laughs> I remember uh, last year, Ajahn Pabakaro and I and uh, Venerable Nyanaviro went to stay a weekend in a Cistercian Abbey up in Scotland. Uh, and we decided that if we were going to stay in that abbey, we would fit in with their uh, ways. We didn't want to kind of go there and say, you have to do this, Buddhist monks have to have this, and they can't do that. We, we thought, we're going to stay, we'll fit into their schedule and their way of life. So, we, after that determination, we had a very pleasant weekend, actually, uh, going to the different holy offices of the Cistercians and uh, having meetings with them and friendliness and chats and camaraderie and all the rest of it was I think was uh, as monks we had so much in common we could appreciate each other uh, we had uh, interesting discussions up until I mean we could talk about monasticism discipline meditation almost anything Thomas Merton we could talk about <laughs> Ajahn Chah we could talk about. But when it came to God, <laughs> suddenly the, the, the mind stopped. They, they, we believe in God. Do you believe in God? <laughs> uh, and do you, we believe that, that we have a personal relationship with God. And this way of, of talking, this way of thinking, uh, uh, is not a Buddhist way. We we don't think and we don't talk in the same way about a tran the transcendent reality or the absolute or the totality. These kind of words are becoming increasingly more common uh, because mostly Judaism and Christianity tended to regard uh, personifications, uh, anthropomorphic uh, uh, attitudes of, about that which is transcendent or total. Uh, and therefore, uh, God becomes uh, a, a father figure, has, uh, has more human attributes. God becomes uh, something that you describe and, that, and anything you can describe, you can have a personal relationship with. Like we can have personal relationships with with, with each other, with, with uh, our cats and dogs and horses. Uh, personal relationships generate from, from that whole idea of I am this person, you are that person, and then we relate to each other in some way as two individual people or beings. I think in, here in Devon, uh, the, in the Totnes, they, they're very busy working out their relationships with each other. <laughs> and in California, the, the uh, important issues of life are around relationships, how to relate 
a man to a woman or uh, whatever, uh, relationship seems to be uh, something that fascinates uh, personalities or people, men and women. But as a religious path, we're, we're, not, we're no longer emphasizing these aspects of being a person, a personality, a man or a woman, uh, uh, ethnic origins, race, or any of these, these issues. Uh, are no longer the important ones. They're, n they're not held as being uh, something that we uh, grasp and identify with, but recognize as mere conditions of our minds. The idea that I am this body here, that, that idea is in the mind. It arises and ceases in the mind. The, the view that I am a man is a condition that arises and ceases in the mind. I am a, a monk, I am Ajahn Sumato, I am a Theravadan Buddhist, and all the rest of that, it are the conditions of the mind, uh, and these, uh, if grasped and identified with, or even rejected out of uh, just, w want just denying or, or annihilating ideas or perceptions, is not the way either but recognizing that these are not what we are, ultimately. And therefore, uh, in, in the religious life, the whole purpose and, and aim is the transcendence, uh, which means not an annihilation or rejection, but a realization of this limitation, not to be attached, not to be bound by the conditioned realm, the conditioned world. Now, meditating like this for many years, uh, become aware of the subtleties of delusion of one's own life, one's own mind. Because uh, mostly the early part of our life, uh, we're quite innocent, aren't we? When we're, when we're infants and, and small children, we haven't developed uh, any, any sense of, uh, of a transcendent knowledge. Uh, we haven't reflected on life. We're we're learning. We're we're being conditioned and programmed by our parents, by our peers, by our society. So we, as we grow up, we're we're told what is right, what is wrong, what is acceptable, what isn't, what we are, what we should be, what the world should be. Uh, we we're we're in, uh, instilled in our minds are all the ideas of of our parents and whether they love us or don't love us or wanted us or didn't want us or whether we're uh, attractive and beautiful and lovable or maybe our parents thought we were we were unwanted and unlovely and unlikable uh, whatever all these are instilled into the mind of, of a child uh, in which they have no way of, of filtering it out they it's just uh, instilled uh, in a way that that's the that's the way they think and that's the, the assumptions they make from that way of those kind of thoughts those kind of attitudes so we find even in a pleasant uh, country like Britain a lot of mental anguish and suffering from people who have these ideas these wrong views uh, these inferior attitudes that some sometimes just never even question, but uh, just 
impulsively and automatically assume to be true. With education, uh, being uh, edu- born and growing up in a country like the United States, uh, where education is very much uh, a secular affair in the uh, uh, government schools of the United States, religion was almost uh, was definitely uh, there was no there was not allowed any any kind of religious teachings were not allowed inside the, those schools, uh, and the the <coughs> my generation was very much one where we were. Uh, the, the ideas of modern science, empirical science, and humanistic values, modern psychology and sociology, all of this were taken as uh, as realities, as, as truths, and instilled in our minds, and uh, without any questioning uh, about their validity. Uh, religious values were oftentimes dismissed as not being, you know, you could believe them if you want to, but you know, you can't really prove them, and and therefore you, you, uh, you know, they're probably uh, not even true, or you know, because Jesus Christ was, uh, you know, maybe it was all made up by somebody, and and all of that. So, uh, in the long run, one was torn, say, between a if one had a religious background, Christian background, there was this uh, problem of what one's parents said and what you picked up in the modern uh, educational system. And of course eventually you think your parents don't know anything and you opt for the... (laughs) (laughs) for what you think is is fashionable and with the the times. Now I look back, I think my parents were much wiser than the the school system. But I remember uh, as a young, uh, as a teenager, thinking more and more that my parents were old-fashioned fuddy-duddies, didn't really understand very much, uh, and that Freud and all the rest were the ones to follow, uh, and uh, modern scientists and sociologists, psychologists, and all the rest. But one thing that, that, but it became uh, as say one's experience of life coming from being uh, just thinking that that life is me as a personality, me as this body, me as as this character for the rest of my life, having to be somebody, having to be a person, having to uh, live uh, uh, and be completely caught up in just the condition of my own body and emotional states. Uh, on contemplation of that, life became increasingly more depressing because it didn't seem to have any real purpose uh, to it. Just to live as as another individual personality trying to get my way uh, and live my life and survive on this planet uh, seemed to me to have no point to it. It had no real beauty involved in it. it. it wasn't, it didn't inspire my mind, didn't uplift me. Uh, if you're highly ambitious and conceited, you think, well, I'm going to prove I'm the best man in the whole world, or I'm going to be the the winner uh, of the Olympic Games, or the greatest musician, or whatever, 
that might motivate one towards, uh, say, doing something in order to, to uh, in a competitive way. But in the long run, that's not enough either. Even if you should be the champion, the winner, uh, the best uh, uh, in the world, it still leaves one with this same feeling of incompleteness and anxiety and fear and worry that haunt our human condition. With religious values, they're always the, the, uh, the aim of a religion is the binding or the, say, the relationship to the divine or the transcendent. We're not relating to, to another person, to another conditioned being, to a, to a man or a woman or a, or a mother or a father or, or a president or chairman or, or a peasant or a servant or an equal. We're, we're relating to, a tra to the transcendent. Uh, and that, this is just one way of reflecting of our relationship to the transcendent or to ultimate reality. In Buddha Dharma, when you contemplate it, you see that this, this sensory realm, uh, uh, what we see and hear, smell, taste, touch and think, and feel all of this is transient and ephemeral. Uh, and so it, it, it uh, as, as it's obviously not transcendent. It has no transcendent ability. You can't, anything you see or hear or smell or taste or touch, any thought, any feeling you have uh, in your mind or body, that feeling and that thought or that material condition has no ability to transcend it's not, it is what it is. It's, uh, it's hot or it's cold or it's, it's pleasant or painful. It, 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 as a condition, it is what it is, but it is impermanent. One cannot find uh, that, say, eternality or permanence or absolute, the absolute with, uh, in any condition as uh, an impossibility. So the conditioned realm, uh, it, it, say, for Buddhist reflection, is to be investigated and understood. And the, the very pattern of the conditioned realm is that it, what arises ceases. So that this investigation of the arising and the cessation of the conditioned realm is, the, is what the Buddha established the Four Noble Truths on. This, this uh, looking, examining, uh, investigating ability of, a of a, the reflexive mind of a human being to see just the basic pattern common to all condition, all common to all conditions, whatever arises ceases. And in that reflection and investigation, then is the the profound understanding of transcendent reality or the Dhamma, the truth of the way it is which is not, cannot be bound into any concept or perception of the mind. More and more, one, one's way of, of seeing is, not, is no longer from the conditioned uh, view of me as a person. More and more, this, this body and its senses and its sensitivity 
is is witness to uh, as uh, no longer uh, being clouded by the perceptions of it being me and more and more then the realization or insight into the ultimate reality of no self not bound into a condition not identified with a thing not not uh, no, no perception, no view that need be made or created about ultimate reality. It is here and now, and it is, uh, and and when the when one is when there is mindfulness and wisdom, then there is that full and complete understanding, perfect understanding of the Dhamma. With the teachings of the Buddha, this uh, this word dhamma it means that it, it's a it's a marvelous word, uh, which uh, can be translated into English as the law or the order, whatever. Uh, somehow, any English uh, synonym isn't is never quite good enough because dhamma is takes in everything from and no thing. All paradoxes resolve themselves in Dhamma. All problems cease in the Dhamma. Uh, all the all the anxieties, fears, doubts, worries uh, of our minds end and cease in the Dhamma. So that's why, uh, say, when you took the refuges uh, and sang the Devan Bihara chant, uh, chanted or sang the Devan Bihara song or chanted the Devan Bihara chant. It's uh, that is the the dhamma, say the dhamma as our refuge. A human, our human condition, allows us to contemplate uh, our own existence, our own feelings. We each have to learn from the way we are. I am the owner of my kamma. I am the heir to my kamma. Born of my kamma. This is my kamma. This is the way. I, I am, but this isn't a kind of fatalistic justification of my bad habits. Uh, you have to accept me as I am. <laughs> it's not. I'm not saying that that the way I am is, a, is, is that anyone should like it. Sometimes I don't even like the way I am. But the or that it's uh, that there should be some other way that I should be some other way. Not trying to become or justify but to recognize that this this is the way it is that that this is my karma I feel and I look like this I my, the, my life is, is the, the way I am now as a result of how I've lived my life uh, I, rec- I, I, I look at this the, the result of my life and I and then I think how have I lived my life and this is the result of it I see, say, in the monastic life, um, uh, as a bhikkhu, because this is the way of reflection that we, we're we're introduced to almost from the from the very beginning of monastic uh, observance. Uh, we chant, "I am the owner of my kama, heir to my kama, born of my kama," <laughs> every day, several times a day, and <laughs> and I and this is the result of what I have done, how I have lived my life, or from previous life. Sometimes you can't really, uh, you don't really know why. Do, why am I like this? And you know, what have I done? I've not done anything that bad. Why should, 
I'd be suffering like this, thinking that, you know, you, sh- you should be able to, uh, if you haven't done anything very bad, you shouldn't suffer so much. Then somebody says, well, it's probably because you, you kicked your mother in the previous life. Well, I've never kicked my mother in this life. That's what they told me in my bad foot. They said, it's probably because you kicked your mother in a previous life. That makes me feel much better. (laughs) Pay it off at this one. (laughs) But whatever it is, uh, whatever I did in a previous life, uh, I'm, I'm not particularly concerned about knowing exactly what previous lives I've had. But this is the result in, uh, in this one, right here and now. And this is where uh, one can resolve, absolve these conditions, is always in this present, here and now, Dhamma. Uh, so Kama, Kama is made through, through uh, being caught up in ignorance and reacting to the results of one's life in the present. So if, if one does not awaken to the Dhamma, if one does not contemplate and reflect on life and understand it, then one just creates uh, habits and attitudes and reinforces all kinds of views, opinions, prejudices, biases, some good, some bad, some true, false, right, wrong. Uh, well, these are just reinforced into the mind and then we find ourselves repeating the same mistakes over and over, doing the same, saying the same silly things, getting caught up in, in, in just the same unsatisfactory, immature emotional reactions uh, to the relationships we have with others, with other persons. But the way out of that, the way uh, of transcendence is by absor- by, through absolution through recognizing the way it is and allowing these things to cease in the present, not to make anything, not to create any problems, not to uh, confuse or complicate the present moment. The way out of suffering then is an immediate, is, is right now, if, if, you, if you begin to uh, understand more uh, the, the true nature of things, you realize that at this present moment is always the, 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 is the occasion, the opportunity for freedom and liberation, for non-suffering. It's not that the personality view is that I must do something now in order that in the future, at some time, I will have gained so, many, so much good uh, karma that suddenly I will be free from all my bad karma and I will not suffer anymore. But the, the teaching of the Buddha is always the immediate, the pachubhana dhamma, the here and now truth, that just through, an, just through mindfulness and wisdom in, in one moment, then, then that is, there's no suffering in that moment. Uh, in monastic life, we, more and more we realize the moments when we're not suffering rather than just reacting to the moments when we're suffering. How many of you here really know, really appreciate non-suffering? 
can you in your daily lives when there's no suffering no anxiety no worry no desire how many of you realize that know that in in just moments of your life or do you find your your life just caught up with with worry and anxiety and and creating suffering uh, looking for happiness trying to find distraction uh, through uh, pleasurable experiences, excitements, and interesting things to, to do, uh, and never aware, never fully aware and appreciating the moments of no suffering. Monasticism, to many people, looks like a lot of suffering because uh, it can look, it looks pretty like almost like a kind of self torture. Uh, you can't can't do anything can't go anywhere, uh, celibacy and, and restraint on food and everything's kind of, of, of uh, you can't, you know, for a whole life, day after day, uh, getting up in the morning, early in the morning and going to do the, the chanting and, and the work and the whole rest of it can seem like a, a really dreary, boring way to live. But the whole uh, monastic uh, convention is really aimed at helping us to realize the moments of daily life where there's no suffering, to really know them. Now, when I was a lay person, I uh, say I, I ordained when I was about 32, so I've had say that many years of of uh, worldly experience, and. I suffered a lot at the age of 32. I was going through tremendous emotional kind of disillusionment and uh, feeling just ter terribly unhappy and uh, unfulfilled by the way I'd been living. There were moments, occasional moments, where there wasn't any suffering, but there was no real appreciation. One, as soon as one had a moment of non-suffering, then then the greedy mind would come. I want to. I don't want to suffer anymore. I want all my moments to not be suffering. I want to be happy. Uh, why do I have to suffer? Uh, and so that, no, even even when I was a lay person, uh, even though it wasn't unmitigated misery, there were moments of my lay life, great uh, experiences of non-suffering, but the the greed, the desire to to have it all the time would create uh, the the conditions for suffering. I could I didn't know how to just appreciate life, the flow of life as is, uh, and this uh, became very apparent uh, just before I became a monk because I was living in in uh, Saba, North Borneo, and I really liked it there. I I was I was in the uh, Peace Corps, the American Peace Corps. This is this is the tropical paradise I've always dreamed of living in. It was it was uh, an equatorial country with uh, right on the sea, beautiful coral waters, and and life was so easy and so extremely pleasant. And uh, this is this is just you know dreaming of being Robinson Crusoe or being uh, sort of on an on an island, tropical island, living just in such a pleasant way. And yet, the kind of misery I could create in the midst of where everything was 
was really all right, where there was no need to create misery, except I was so habituated to creating misery, I couldn't stop it. And if, if God suddenly said, uh, here you are in paradise, uh, you've made it, <laughs> everything's just absolutely perfect, if I'd, been the, if I'd been operating from the same momentum of my life in paradise, I'd be creating suffering in paradise. They all paradise. What if, I, what if God doesn't want me here? Maybe God doesn't think I'm really good enough. Maybe he's only <laughs> testing me out. <laughs> what, if some, what if the snake comes into the garden again? And <laughs> Even in the midst of, of, of the best, the mind had become addicted. It was an addiction to suffering. It didn't know how not to suffer. All the personality, the view of myself, the whole uh, assumptions of a conditioned mind, the momentum and power of that would not allow, even in the midst of, of, of all the best, to, to be fully with it and to be fully enjoying for what it is. And that's because of the ignorance and the greed and the fear that is conditioned into the mind. That is not what your mind is. That's not what you are. But that's what we tend to be identified with. Our lives have more meaning. We, we say we give our lives a significance by, by uh, worrying and by uh, fearing and by desiring all kinds of things. If you wanting uh, uh, all the, the, the now we have we living in this kind of uh, materialist paradise. Where, where have we, we ever been? Has humanity ever been able to have so many kind of m miraculous gadgets? <laughs> Even a Buddhist monk. I have more miraculous gadgets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and. Clocks now I have clocks all over the place. Huh? Give them away. I used to remember even a, a Mickey Mouse watch was a great luxury. And now I have clocks that can do anything and can tell time all over the world and can uh, flash and alarms and you name it with little ditties and So we live in an age of, 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 of where our wishes come true. We, we get what we want quite easily. But that's still the basic delusion is, is conditioned into the mind. It's still there, working away, corrupting your moments of life uh, just, by, by, just by an unacknowledged uh, and lack of understanding of what actually is operating and what it is, exactly what it is. In meditation then, we go to that very seed, that very kernel of delusion, that very foundation that's been a, that we were too young to, to ever recognize. It was put into us from the beginning of our lives. But as our, we take our refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha and we we are develop the way, cultivate the way of the Buddha, the path of the Buddha. Then, that realization is 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 the way out of suffering, the freedom from binding ourselves to conditioned realm, being deluded 
blinded, caught up into inappropriate reactions, fears and desires of our minds. And that realization of the absolute or the deathless ultimate truth, freedom from all suffering. Freedom from suffering doesn't mean that we don't experience anything anymore. We, we, we can still feel pain and sickness and get all the old, a, old age problems and have cancer and all the rest of it and not suffer. I mean, we still experience physical pain uh, and all the, all the unpleasantness of that, but there's no, there's no creation of suffering around it. In other words, your mind is, the liberated mind is, is a universal mind. It's not, it's not identified with cancer or with old age or disease or with, with all the, the aches and pains or horrendous aches and pain or horrendous pain of disease that some people have. The, that is, say, our refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha is more and more is a universal the universal reality, the one, rather than this uh, reaction out of fear, out of ignorance, to the sensory conditioned realm. So then the perfect relationship is established. The relationship is the condition to the unconditioned, rather than the condition to the conditioned. As conditions, say, as one person to another, I recommend that we regard each other uh, with compassion, look at each other with mindfulness, wisdom, not to hurt, not intentionally harm or hurt or insult or take advantage or exploit each other. We want us to, uh, to have a good relationship on the conditioned plane, then we have our, our moral restraint, we have our, our uh, way of being generous, kind, thoughtful, considerate to each other respecting each other's individual individuality without reaffirming the delusions of another person's mind or of our own mind. And then the, the bodhisattva practice of the Buddhist to unconditioned or the mortal with the divine or the contingent with the absolute. Here in Devon now, you have, you have this uh, monastery and like all monasteries or anything else, they, they, have, their, they have their conditioned problems uh, and people can make problems about the conditions. <laughs> so <laughs> well, this is just the way the world is. Uh, don't expect Buddhist monasteries uh, to, to uh, not... Uh, to, to be totally so pure and so perfect that that uh, somehow they're they're not real anymore. We find uh, say at Amravati or Chitters to Harnam here wherever uh, we we're constantly having to remind ourselves. Oh, this is the way the world is. It's like this, and some people praise you, some people condemn you, some people uh, understand and think you're the absolute best and other people think you're not worth anything and, and uh, some people like you, think you're uh, 
and in a fascinating, charming person, other people think you're a real bore. And this is just the way the world is. Uh, uh, in, a, in a monastic life, you're trying to get them, the, the monks and nuns to keep, to really trust in the practice rather than, than develop uh, all kinds of attitudes about themselves as, as monks or nuns or senior or junior or anagarikas and, and uh, who, can do who can do things better than somebody else. And, and so that uh, we find jealousies arising and feelings of being offended and not being appreciated fully and all this is, is monks and nuns we suffer a lot from these kind of things. Some people get a lot of praise. Some monks, junior monks, get praised a lot. They, oh, that monk's really super. I'm really, he's really, you know, he's. I'm sure he's fully enlightened already. Even though he's <laughs> then, they, then, they, then the senior monks. Then you can. Then you hear some people who've got it in for the senior monks. The, the senior monks. So there's being senior monk can be sound like being something really horrible. The nuns they're having to go through is now the, the senior nuns <laughs> expecting just because they have to suffer with the word senior these days that they, they shouldn't have any kind of feelings at all. They should be like uh, ethereal angels that, uh, that can only do ex everything perfectly right and never disappoint us. But monastic life is like this. It's and we're we're working and the and the form of our life helps us to reflect and see things clearly so so we're not here to try to impose try to make a, a place for ourselves as bhikkhus or silajaras or as junior senior or in but to use our life as a reflection in order to penetrate with <coughs> wisdom with buddha wisdom penetrate for that profound insight uh, to be free from all identity, all identification, from all clinging, and then to from that, of course, is the response to the flow of life, which is a response of love, compassion, and joy. So, what we say, monasteries like this in. Uh, in Thailand, I remember Ajahn Chah <coughs> was one of one of the reasons why he was such a remarkable teacher. Because uh, Ajahn Chah was a truly great teacher and, and uh, a truly wise teacher, wise human being. Because he used all the problems, ups and downs of monastic life, for teaching us. Uh, he was he was brilliant at making us look at ourselves and. Uh, so uh, many times you'd get fed up with the monastery. What some monk would really be irritating you, or or you'd be making problems about all kinds of issues. Uh, sometimes the monastery seemed to be really wonderful place. Sometimes you thought it was just degenerating. It wasn't any good anymore. Uh, all of the doubts and and all the delights of human experience, one could still create in, in, in a monastery like Wat Pong in Thailand. But Ajahn Chah's emphasis was on that recognizing that the impermanence of our thoughts and feelings. 
And he kept making that so, he kept kept emphasizing that so much that after a while you really, no matter how stupid you are, you manage to get the point. <laughs> so here in England, they were, were that, that is uh, a uh, opportunity now to establish centers like this in which that, that kind of teaching is, is, is made available to people here. And that, that this is a, a very good thing because uh, human suffering is not going to be solved by uh, tearing down the Berlin Wall or converting everyone to capitalism or everyone becoming rich and having more and more. But only through wise reflection and, and understanding of of Dhamma is uh, then then how the world changes in its problems is is not is not going to be the uh, the issues that cause us happiness and suffering. We can respond to the the problems, the pollution, the the uh, uh, all the, the the human problems, the injustices, and all the rest of it that we have to bear with as a result of our karma for our lifetime. We can respond to all of that wisely and compassionately and lovingly when the mind is freed from that basic delusion. So this afternoon I think I have said enough for you to contemplate, think about, take home with you, uh, really uh, look at your daily lives more and more, begin to, to really ask yourself what, what is suffering and, and really bring into co full consciousness non-suffering, what it's like not to suffer, not to worry, not to, not to want something or want to get rid of something, how to, or how to just accept worry and pain and suffering and disease without creating anything around it, how to just let go of, of the conditions of your mind and, and recognize them for what they are. And then when the mind is no longer caught in, the, in just a, a, a heedless reactions to, to recognize the, the, the serenity of the mind, the true nature of mind that is serene and peaceful, bright, intelligent. So I offer this for your reflection contemplation and the rest of the afternoon is for socializing and, and being totally heedless. <laughs> <laughs> Not totally, but at least we, we, this, is, uh, this is our chance to uh, say, make this whole day auspicious. So we, we, we won't insult each other. When I stop talking, we'll, we'll uh, refrain from insulting each other. We'll, we'll help each other. Uh, we'll uh, try to... Uh, uh, listen and, and care for each other in the right ways for the whole rest of the day uh, and let's just keep this day this special day now as, as a day for just uh, total auspiciousness it doesn't end just because this on ceremony ends Satu kalam tetamasi. Satu kalam tetamasi.